right, real quick, I gotta correct my statement, JD. It has not gone as planned. So, got a quick story. I, I won't share a whole lot of these uh, yet, but get Isaiah. He was born at 10.05. We got to see him. Uh, we adopted, if you don't know. Um, so we got to see him at midnight 05, and then he stayed with his birth mom for a little bit, came in at about 3, I think 3 or 4 in the morning. And so then we're getting to do skin to skin, and I had made a deal with him. I said, for the rest of your life, you will not pee on me. And so I get to do a little bit of skin to skin, and one of us did not hold up our end of the agreement. Because I'm holding him, and I'm like, I am sweating profusely under him. And then I reach down, and it's like, that's not sweat. So, little booger. And then uh, yesterday, we get him home. He is home. Uh, get him home about 2 o'clock, and I'm getting to change his diaper. He messed it. And so I'm changing him. I get him all cleaned up, get the diaper over there, look back. He messed again. And it's like, so this is what I have to look forward to. And I am loving every minute of it. So anyways, uh, transition away from that now. So our whole sermon is just going to be stories about him. Um, not really. So uh, I've shared this before, but I went to Pitt State University for college. Um, and for a while, I wanted to be a physical therapist. And so like for a whole two weeks, I thought I'm going to be a physical therapist until I realized what it requires to be a physical therapist. Brains. And I was like, I don't have those because I had to take that semester, principles of biology one, principles of biology two, chemistry, trigonometry, and physical science. And it was like, no, I'm going to teach kids how to throw and kick a ball and play tag. So uh, the problem was I missed my cancel date, like my drop class date, so I had to go through some of those classes. And so I'm taking these classes, and in physical science, you have to do a lab. So you have the classroom work, and then you also have to do a lab. And I didn't know anybody in that class. So when we're doing the labs, I'm getting partnered with people that I don't know. And I'm an introvert if I don't know you. I've shared that before. And so I get in this group with people who know each other. And so I'm like, sweet, you guys have fun. And I literally, through that entire lab, sat in the back and allowed them to do all of the work. And this is the common group effort kind of makeup, kind of anatomy, where, you know, everybody else is doing the work, and then you got those people who are not going to carry their weight at all. And the sad thing is I open up with that and I share that because that really applies to anywhere that there's group efforts. Where even in church, you know, last week we talked about we have this collective plan where we all are the body of Christ. We are all to come alongside and work together towards this mission. But there's a thing in churches called the 80-20 rule. And that rule is this, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And really, they say it doesn't matter how big or small your church is, that's what it breaks down to. And I'm actually grateful to say we don't abide by that rule. Our number is higher, but we're not there yet. Because you know what God's rule is? God's number, if you want to throw it, is 100-100. Where you have 100% of people who are committing their lives to Jesus, doing the work of Jesus. And that's, that's what this whole series has been about, living our lives on mission. And so last week we looked at collectively living our lives on mission. And so this week we're going to wrap up the series with personally. 
that God is calling each and every one of us to personally live our lives on mission. Because this whole thing started about four months ago, where we were going through the book of Revelation. And we were looking at really who Jesus is. That Jesus is victorious, that Jesus is reigning, that Jesus is worthy, and then Jesus is returning. So when you understand who Jesus is, then as First Peter tells us, you live as eternal citizen kingdom, as eternal kingdom citizens. You don't live as a citizen of this world. You live your life differently. And when you live your life differently, you share what Jesus has done in your life. And that's kind of what brought us to where we're at now, how we are each called to live on mission. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 what that mission is, to go and make disciples. He tells us in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, what the heart of the mission should be. He says that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. So we see the mission. We see the heart of the mission. We saw last week that we are all part of the body of Christ, and this is the mission of the body of Christ. But the problem that happens is that's the work of the church as an organization. The church should do this. The church, as in the leaders of the church and those who are in some hired role or some other kind of appointed role, should take care of that. And where what Jesus is telling us is no. Every single person who claims to be a Christian is called to personally live your life on mission. And so we're kind of going to break it all down today to three practical ways to live your life on mission. And there's probably more. These aren't over-encompassing and everything, but three ways to intentionally and personally live on mission, and they're found in Scripture. So don't worry, this is coming from the Bible. But before we go any further, if you'll just join me, we'll open up in a word of prayer. Father God, again, we come before you, and God, thank you just that you uh, have just called us sons and daughters. God, that we get to be a part of your family, that we get to come here and not just come here, but we get to go and you have entrusted to us to just spread your word. So I just pray that as we look at maybe ways to do this, God, may, may they come from you and may it just be an encouragement to live intentionally for you and everything that we do. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So in 2016, this is kind of an old poll, but it, six years ago, 2016 Barna Group, which is a Christian uh, polling service, they polled Americans and they found out that according to those that they polled, 73% of Americans claim to be Christians. That kind of blew me away. That is as recent as 2016. Now, over the course of events since then, that number might have dropped. But in 2016, 73% of the people polled claimed to be Christians. I found another website called Best Places to Live, and they told me about Cherokee County, Kansas, our county here. And they said 55% of people here claim to be religious. And then it gave a breakdown. So when they say religious, predominantly is Christian, like 2% might be Muslim. 
but predominantly out of that 55%, they are saying they believe to be Christian. They claim to be Christian. So the question I want to ask this morning and kind of wrestle with real quick, does just claiming to be Christian really make you a Christian? Does just saying that, hey, I believe there's a God, that's enough. Is that enough? You know, James actually tells us that the demons do the very same thing. James says, you believe that there's a God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. And so the demons actually have one more up on those who just claim, but don't really have life transformation because they at least realize who God is because it makes them shudder. And, and I want to stop real quick here because there's this teetering point here that I feel like I'm on. And it's, it's this point of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, where Paul tells us you are saved by grace through faith alone and is not a result of works so that no one can boast. And so it's like, that's so true. But then James comes around in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, and he ends it by saying in verse 17, faith without works is dead. And so it's like, it's easy to lean too heavy on one side and be like, it is faith alone, no work. You don't have to do a single thing where James comes around and says, actually, if your faith has no work, then your faith is dead. The demons, they have a dead faith. They believe there is a God. They would say, yes, there is a God, but they have no works flowing out of it. And so Martin Luther, he had this saying that I really like, we are saved by faith alone. But a saving faith is never alone. And so the, the best way I could come up with this analogy, and it's going to fall short, but the best thing I could do is come up with the Texas Longhorns because I love the Texas Longhorns. We lost yesterday, but so did the Sooners, so it is all good. We are fine. Like, you know what, KU's number one. I don't know how that happened. Anyways, I love the Texas Longhorn. Like, I thought at the beginning of the year, we were going to be an amazing team. We have a great quarterback. We had great fans. It was like, we are going to win the Big 12. And, I mean, I sit there and I watch the games that I can watch. I cheer them on. I yell commands at them. I am involved. I'm part of the team. But what if I come around and told you, you know what, I'm a Texas Longhorn. You'd look at me and be like, no, you're not. You're a fan. And I'm like, no, you're wrong. I'm a Texas Longhorn. I claim to be part of the team. I yell at them. I give them commands. I'm pretty much one of the coaches. I'm part of the team. And you're like, no, you're not. Why am I not? Because I am not actually a part of the team. I don't contribute to the team. I don't have any involvement in the team. I sit back and yell. And I don't do very good at that even. But it's like, in order to be a part of the team, you have to be recruited and signed by the team. And so that's the thing. You can say you're a Christian. You can even sit back and watch all the Christian events and you can be like, I'm a Christian. And it's like, are you really? Because Paul says, and I, this is how you are saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace through faith you are saved. Not a result of works, so you cannot earn it. But James piggybacks and says that, that faith, there's going to be some fruit, as Jesus tells us, that comes from it. 
to sign with the team. And, and Paul even tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, this is how you sign with the team of God. So if you want to live on mission, the, the point here is you play for the team. You play for the team of God. It's not a, a way of being saved, but it's a flowing from your salvation. Because to sign with the team of God, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, God predestined us for adoption. Just going to say I love that word right now. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. How? Through Jesus Christ. For, according to the purpose of his will. If you want to sign with the team of God, there's only one way. It's not through religious works. It's not through giving enough money. It cannot be bought. Peter tells us that our faith, which cannot be bought with silver or gold. It is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to sign with the team. And then Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10, he says, this is how you do it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. But this is not just a knowledge of God. Because remember, even the demons believe and they shudder. This is a life-changing belief in God. This is a, for example, how many of you believe Abraham Lincoln existed? Like 100%, I hope, history has not failed us that much. Like we know Abraham Lincoln existed. I believe that Abraham Lincoln existed. It does not change my life. They could teach that differently and my life is not going to be changed by it. And so it's not just a belief that God exists. It is a belief that flows out of me like oxygen. You tell me there's not oxygen in this room, I'm holding my breath. But if I believe there's oxygen, I breathe it out in. Carbon dioxide comes out. But I live my life out of that belief. It's a belief that we live out of. It's life changing because even Jesus tells us this. He says a couple scary things in the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew chapter 7, he's telling us, he says the golden rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he says that wide is the gate. And it's easy that leads to destruction. And so I think that there's 73% of Americans that are like, yep, I believe there's a God. And that's a pretty wide gate. And it's pretty easy because they're saying, just believe, man. Nothing else has to change. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says, so shall we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. How can I continue to live in that which I have died to? And so Jesus tells us, if you want to be my disciple, you must die to yourself daily. You must take up your cross and follow me. And so he, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he said, wide is the gate and easy is the path that leads to destruction. And then he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. But it's through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. 
And I think it's because there's people who have started saying, you know what, just claim to be a Christian. Check that box and call it good. Don't live off of it. Don't really trust God with anything. Don't actually have a belief, just have a profession and call it good. That's pretty wide. And Jesus is saying, if you want to come after me, live for me. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 says that. And so we play for the team. And then both Paul and Abraham, they give this, they expound on, not Paul and Abraham, Paul and James expound on this. It's salvation through faith, but our faith results in works by using the example of Abraham. Paul, he says in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this is all the way back in Genesis, I think it's 15, where God tells Abraham to go to a land and that God is going to make his descendants abundant and through him, nations will be blessed. Abraham's done absolutely nothing except he believes God and it is counted to him as righteousness. But then James comes in, in James chapter 2, verse 20, and he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. As, and he was called a, a friend of God. So Abraham was justified by his faith, but his faith resulted in obedience. He could have just been like, God, I, I believe when you call me to sacrifice Isaac that you would provide, but I'm not actually going to do anything about it. And it's like, do you really believe God then? Do you really trust him? Are you really walking in obedience to him? You see, Paul repeats it multiple times in his writings that we are called not just to claim to be a part of the family of God or the team, but to actually play for the team. He says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He says in Galatians 2, 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. So therefore it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then even Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, he said in the same way, let your light shine before others. Let your deeds be seen by others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. And so if, if you want to live this life on mission, then you play for the team. You, you carry out the mission of God. You do what God tells us to do, not for your salvation, let's clarify that, but because you're saved, because you are living for God. And then another way that I feel that we live lives on mission is we redeem our time. 
You see, this is what I mean about this. We're busy people. I don't know if you know that, but we here in America are pretty busy. I don't remember the last time I had a conversation with somebody and I was like, hey man, how's it going? And they're like, you know what? I'm so bored. I just wish somebody would give me something to do. I mean, sign me up, Scotty. I'm ready. Instead, it usually goes this way. Hey man, how's it going? I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm super busy. Like, I, I cannot even take one more thing in my life. And so, really, whenever somebody talks about doing something extra, I clam up. It's like, I can't. I can't take on one more thing. And as much as I wish that wasn't the case, I just adopted a kid. I'm in the same boat. I mean, busyness is how we label our lives. And so, what do we do about this? Well, we redeem that time to live on mission for God. You see, Paul, he did this. In Philippians chapter one, Paul's arrested. He's in prison. And Paul writes this to the Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's in jail. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So let's look at Paul's scenario here. He is in prison. I mean, if anybody is like, you know what, what could I do for the kingdom? I'm in jail. I used to have a platform. I was in synagogues. I preached in Ephesus. I preached to thousands. Talk about a platform. And now all that's been taken away. And I'm in prison. And I'm chained to this lousy Roman guard the entire time. What can I do to advance the kingdom? And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to redeem this time. I'm not the prisoner here. This dude that is chained up to me for eight hours a day is the prisoner. He stuck with me. So he gets to hear about Jesus. He gets to hear who God is. And he says that my imprisonment has actually advanced the gospel because it has worked its way through the imperial guard. Because this guy comes and he's locked up to me for eight hours. And then they rotate. And this guy's locked up to me for eight hours. I'm redeeming this time to use it to glorify God. Look at your lives. If, you know, eight-hour work days. You are locked up, in a sense, with your coworkers, with your classmates, where you can be like, you know what, what can I do? I am stuck in a secular world, but instead, I'm going to redeem this time. So when I'm at activities, I'm living intentionally to redeem this time to draw people to Jesus. While I'm at work, Paul already said it, whatever you do, work as for the Lord and not for men. So I'm redeeming that time. I'm going to take every moment captive to live for the glory of God and to be a shining light for God in my area. In that moment, my coworkers are going to know where I stand. Kurt, you already do. Your coworkers are going to know where you stand when you redeem your time to glorify God so that instead of being stuck, you get to fulfill Matthew chapter 5 where it says, let your light shine before the world, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. And that brings us to our last point. So we, we play for the team. We redeem the time that we have. 
and then we live relationally. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Jesus, when he was about to be crucified, he had the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And in verse 15, he prayed not that we would be removed from the world, but that we would be set apart from the world. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. So there's, there's, you know, monasteries and other religions and stuff where they're like, you know what, we're going to totally isolate ourselves from everybody. That's not what Christians are called to be. How do you get to be the light of the world unless you're in the world? You're not of the world. You're not part of the world. You're not becoming like the world. But man, they need to see your light. They need to see who you're living for. This means that we invest in people. We build relationships. We, we hang out with them. We do it all to point them to Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, we read it last week. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How is the world going to hear about Jesus unless you are going out and being the light of the world? And the way you are the light of the world is that you stand in the darkness. Build those relationships. Love on people. Point them to the hope that you have found. As Peter says, always be prepared to give a hope for the defense. Always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have, which is in Christ Jesus. Be the light of the world. You see, Paul, he did this in 1 Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I am free from all. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You know what I would really paraphrase all of that with? Paul built relationships. To those who were weak, he was there with them. To those who were under the law, he joined them in that so that he could share the gospel with them. To those who were free, he became free. He said, I became all things to all people in order to win the gospel or to share the gospel so that I might win some. He intentionally lived in relationship with them to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus with them. That's what we're called to do. How, you know, Paul, he was willing to become like them so that he could share the gospel with them. Here's the thing. Jesus tells us that the gospel is offensive to those who are perishing. But he also tells us that we're to go and share the gospel. If I came up to you and I just started pointing out all your flaws, like, man, you're a sinner, you're a glutton, you're whatever. I don't know what else. I'm not going to go any further. I just pointed out your flaws. If you're like me, the walls are going to be built up. I'm going to be like, forget you. Who are you to tell me what's wrong with me? But if I trust you, it's a whole new level 
If I trust you, I'm welcoming you in. Hey, please let me know where my downfalls are because there is a relationship being built. So, I mean, there is a time to go and like preach a message to people and to go and be like, hey, have you met Jesus? Let me, let me tell you about him. But then there's also a time to just build relationship with people, let them know you truly care, and then it opens a door to share the gospel with them. The, uh, who was it? Teddy Roosevelt, he said it this way. He said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. St. Francis of Assisi, he said this. He said, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. Our lives are to continually be a message of who Jesus is. And there's a time to preach the word of God, and there is a time to just be with somebody and do life with them. Because then they'll genuinely open up and they'll be like, hey, there's something different about you. Will you share with me what it is? Whatever it is. Some of us are called to just go and proclaim. Some of us are more relationally built. Here's the thing we're all called to do. Faithfully be obedient to whatever it is that God's calling us to do. Faithfully be obedient to what God is calling us to do, which is living for him, just trusting him in everything that we do, doing everything that we do for his glory and being lights in a broken world. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Your strategy may be different. The goal is the same, to intentionally live on mission in everything that we do. And so here's the thing to wrap up. You might be thinking, sweet, already doing that. I love the way that Paul writes to the Thessalonians because he says, you are, you are living in love, excel still the more. If, if you are living intentionally, if you can look at God, not me, who cares? If you can have a conversation with God and be like, God, yes, I really feel like I am living for you. Awesome, praise God for that. And excel still the more. But if you are like, actually, I'm not. I'm part of that percentage that says there is a God, but if you look at my life, I am that fan yelling at everybody else, but I'm not playing for the team. The great news is that Jesus says, start now. That you can come to the Father right here, right now, and enter into a life-saving relationship with him through Jesus. And then he just says, hey, let's walk together. You are justified right then and there. And then the sanctification, the becoming more and more like God, you get a lifelong journey of that growing more and more like him. But today, let's get serious about living on mission. Let's get serious about doing what Jesus commands us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Father God, thank you again just for entrusting to us your body to fulfill the mission that you have given to go and be the light in the world, to go and be ambassadors, to go and reconcile a broken people to you. God, you did it in our lives. 
And now you're entrusting us to go and do the same. And so God, I just pray, give us the courage to do that. Give us the heart to do that. God, help us just live for you in everything that we do and that we may be lights in a broken world. God, we need you to do that though. So just work through us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this, amen.